Little honeybees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop him black gang candy stripes. Look at him loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table. Good Saturday morning, and welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table, a show dedicated to the people of our region who produce, prepare, and preserve our regional foods and agricultural products. This is your hostess, Amy Campbell. The song that you just heard was sung by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Today we've got a bunch of good neighbors gathered around the microphone to join us here at the Tennessee Farm Table. We're visiting with Mr. Alan Benton of Benton Smoky Mountain Country Hams from Vonor, Tennessee. We are really proud of him. He's one of our region's most well-known producers. Also though, it hasn't always been easy for Alan and we're going to hear where he came from and Fred Sausman from Greenville, Tennessee, shares with us Alan Minton's red-eye gravy recipe for biscuits. Mary Constantine, food writer for the Knottsville News Sentinel, has a really great piece about Second Harvest Food Bank and the importance of peanut butter. She also shares with us an African peanut butter soup recipe that sounds delicious. We also get to join our friend John Koykendall, who is that seed saver and East Tennessee treasure. Since we're all thinking about our spring gardens and our seeds, we're going to talk with John for a moment about heirloom seeds and what that actually means. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Tennessee Farm Table. What an honor and a privilege to have your good company. Let's get going. Things have not always been easy for Alan Benton, and we're going to hear where he came from and a little bit about his family and his growing up right here on the first part of the interview. I, I was born just a couple of hours out of Knoxville in Scott County, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, Amy. And I tell people it was so far back in the hills you have to look straight up to see daylight. Those old mountains come down pretty sharp there in Virginia where I'm from. And my family, uh, we literally grew everything we ate. Mm -hmm. Both sides of the family lived a mile apart, Mm -hmm. uh, both sets of grandparents. Neither side of the family owned a car, truck, or tractor. Mm -hmm. They farmed with horses and mules. Mm -hmm. They they walked everywhere they went or rode in a horse and wagon. it was an incredible way of life. I got to experience uh, a phenomenal way of living. Uh, most kids today don't have those same memories, and I'm so thankful that I do have those memories. Yes. Um, 
they everything was organic because they couldn't afford fertilizers or herbicides or pesticides and uh, all the vegetables were heirloom they had to save the seeds they used the manure from the barn stalls or whatever for fertilizer and uh, they would typically turn their pigs loose about August every year. Let's move over Let's, this way. That, that thing is I lo it's the sound of industry, but it's loud. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty loud environment, and it's quieter back in a hallway over there. If you need something quiet, we'll be glad to go over there and hey, talk to you. Hey, let's do that. Come on. It's, it's, okay. That's the quietest spot in the building. <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, it's true to form, but, uh, but I mean, look at all this bacon. I love having you behind all this bacon. Well, this is good. That, how about this? This, this is good. If this works for me if it works for you, Amy. Yeah, um, so we were talking about the, the seeds were heirloom. They were heirloom. They had to save seeds. And... Um, they couldn't go to the store and buy the seeds for the vegetables that they grew. And these were seeds that were literally handed down from generation to generation. And some of these date back, you know, a couple hundred years or more, I'm sure. Uh -huh. But this time of the year, early fall, I have such incredible memories of my grandmothers with the beans all strung up on threads, hung behind those wood stoves all over the walls, drying those things. There in Virginia, we knew them as shuck beans. Here in this part of Tennessee, they're mostly called leather bridges. And uh, there's nothing that quite duplicates the flavor of those things. When you hydrate them and throw a good chunk of pork in there and cook those beans, that was such an incredible treat. Uh, really, really enjoyed those, uh, those times as an early kid. All the pies and cakes that my grandmothers did, of course, were made from scratch. <clears throat> mm -hmm. there, there were no... Uh, Cake, uh, cake mixes and that kind of thing because they didn't go buy that. They had very little cash money. Mm -hmm. What cash that they had was usually from a tobacco patch, usually somewhere around an acre of tobacco. <clears throat> that was the only cash. Occasionally mm -hmm. they might sell a calf uh, from one of their milk cows. They didn't have beef cows. It was too straight up and down mountains to pasture beef. But we raised all the pork. We had chickens, called them yard birds, <laughs> running everywhere. All the eggs were, you know, free range, and the chickens were free range, and it was an incredible way for a young man to grow up when I was growing up. And I treasure those memories. It helped to, it helped to form, I guess, my ideas about food and who I am today. And uh, of course, mm -hmm. I never, ever dreamed that I would make a living uh, curing ham and bacon. I had gone to school to be a, a, a teacher and uh, got into this. And uh, when I got into it, I would meant to stay just long enough to get admitted to, to graduate school, maybe to go to law school or something. And back in those days, I might have had a one in 10 million chance of getting admitted. Today, I wouldn't have that chance. It's so competitive. <laughs> but uh, when I got into it, after about six months, I was really, really enjoying what I was doing and uh, I just thought I'm going to do this as long as it lasts. It's probably not going to last very long anyway and never dreamed I could stay in it as long as I have, of course. Well, you know, you really took a chance and you're one of our biggest sources of pride in this area well, as a producer and, and it's, it's just so impressive. Amy, I make this quote quite often, almost on a daily basis. 
one monkey don't make a show. It takes a whole bunch of monkeys <laughs> to entertain you. I have some, I have some incredible employees. Mm-hmm. While I'm standing here enjoying visiting with you, they're doing the magic, and yes. uh, I have I have some great employees that help me do what I'm doing, and uh, they're very dedicated. Uh, if you hire somebody in this business and you think all they're interested in is a payday, then you've got the wrong people. You need to mm-hmm. hire people that will buy into our philosophy and really want to produce a world-class product. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's so important. Uh, we want to make ham and bacon as good as the Europeans or anybody else in the world is doing it. And uh, you know we strive every day to meet those goals and you're only as good as your weakest employee, as they say. So you have to have good people doing what I'm doing. Boy, that is so true. It's very true. If you've just joined us, you're listening to an interview with Alan Benton from Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams in Vaughnor, Tennessee. After the short break, we'll continue with our interview with Alan and talk about how he got going in this business and what a few of his early years were like. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table is provided in part by Ellie's Home, providing fine flowers for home and garden, seasonal staging, weddings, and floral decor, from private to commercial. Currently scheduling with future brides on the perfect floral design for weddings. To schedule an appointment and for more information, the website is elliesfloral.com. That is spelled E-L-L-I-E-S floral.com. Ellie's Floral. You can always tell Ellie's home. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table comes in part from Magpie's Bakery in downtown North Knoxville, just one block north of Broadway on North Central Street. Magpie's Bakery can accommodate most budgets and styles, from a simple rustic barn dance with pies, cookies, and cupcakes, to a country club affair with a custom creation. With a full selection of ready-made designs, or they can create custom designs for your special event. Images of their ready-made designs and details on custom orders and appointments at magpiescakes.com. Magpie's Cakes. All butter, all the time. And now, let's hear from Fred Sossman from Greenville, Tennessee. He teaches Foodways of Appalachia up at ETSU, and he is going to share with us Alan Benton's red-eye gravy recipe right here. For more information about Alan Benton's products and how to find them, I put a link to his business on the TennesseeFarmTable.com website. Just look for the link that says, listen to the show. Now let's hear from Fred Sossman. It may be the world's simplest gravy. The most elemental version involves two ingredients and no tricky thickening. Water and what's left in a black iron skillet after country ham is fried are all it takes to make red-eye gravy. No salt, no seasoning, no herbs, just leavings and liquid, and maybe a little leftover coffee. Writer and food historian John Edgerton called red-eye gravy a divine elixir. 
Researching red-eye yields some questionable stories about the name of the dish. Andrew Jackson's alleged observation about the red eyes of a hungover cook are among them. Like a lot of our food history, though, we'll probably never know who named red-eye gravy. Odds are the moniker caught on because of the rich color that results when country ham cured the right way for many months. Meats hot, black iron. Unlike many gravy recipes, there's not a speck of flour in red-eye. Cooks don't expect it to be thick, and they know in the bowl on the table it will separate into two-toned layers. Grease and water don't mix. The simplicity of red-eye gravy reflects its origins in poverty. Other than the ham itself, the monetary investment is negligible. And with its highly concentrated flavor, a little red-eye gravy goes a long way. Today's recipe is a bit of a different take on red-eye, it was given to me by my friend Alan Benton, owner of Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams in Madisonville, Tennessee. You pour a quarter cup of brewed coffee into an iron skillet and sprinkle in one tablespoon of brown sugar. On medium heat, fry two or three slices of country ham for about two or three minutes per side. Remove the ham and add a third cup more coffee to the skillet. Increase the heat to medium-high and stir, loosening the browned particles from the bottom of the skillet. Reduce the liquid to the point where you added the second measurement of coffee. Serve your red-eye gravy over biscuits or grits. For the Tennessee Farm Table, I'm Fred Saussman. Now here's a neat little story that I recorded a couple years ago from John Koykendall, who's a local treasure here in East Tennessee. He's been saving seeds and heirloom seeds since the 1950s, and I asked him to define what an heirloom is. I've heard that you... <laughs> to be considered an heirloom, the general rule of thumb is it has to be at least 50 years old or it's been grown in a community for a long period of time and is recognized as such, mm -hmm. as a unique variety in that area. Mm -hmm. Now you take myself, you see, I'm an heirloom plus 21 years. <laughs> that gives you a little hint on my age, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'm one shot, one year shot of being an heirloom. One? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm gonna call it an heirloom, right? You can be in the club too. <laughs> well, I always wondered, because um, people would say, well, what is an heirloom? variety and so um, so that that's good so it's not genetically modified yes and, and you ask why they're important there's many reasons yeah but when it comes down to food I'd have to put taste at the top of the list uh -huh. for something to survive it has to taste good there has to be a reason mm -hmm. for people to have kept it, mm -hmm. it has to have been uh, something the family loved that the mm -hmm. community loved and people still want to grow right but besides that it's a living link with our history and our heritage and our way of life. These are unbroken uh, links in the chain mm -hmm. that have not been broken since the beginning. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness to the diligent seed savers that grew these and passed them on down to us. I'm sorry that I didn't start at a much 
earlier age. Mm -hmm. And I'm also sorry that someone didn't start maybe 100, 150 years ago doing this. Yeah. For some reason, I guess we just didn't think it was important. They mm -hmm. were just varieties. We didn't think of it. Mm -hmm. I remember working up at Blackberry with you, and my memory is not all that great, but did a friend of yours find some butter beans on a porch? Uh, yes. What that's, was that again? That's called the Millhouse Butter Bean. That was down in Crawford, Georgia, down in uh, Oglethorpe County. And the young lady found a sack of, a paper sack full of butter beans on a mill house. There was a grist mill there, and the mill house, or the house that the people lived in that worked the mill, had left some seeds in this paper bag, and she took them home. And she never had grown them out, but she brought them to the uh, seed swap down in Athens, Georgia, the University of Georgia's seed swap. And I took a bunch home, and that next year I grew those. And this is another case. There's white ones, solid black. There's tan, purple, pinkish colored one, speckled, all kinds of different ones in that mix. And they're a beautiful, and that's, we just named it the, the Millhouse Butterbean. Mm. It wouldn't have a specific name because it comes down to us as a mix. Mm -hmm. There's a number of different ones. Mm -hmm. yeah. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table comes to you in part by Kenner Tree Care. Family owned and operated out of Louisville, Tennessee. Kenner Tree Care is proud to support this type of local community broadcasting. A certified arborist insured for your protection, offering removal of dead or problem trees, tree pruning, storm emergencies, tree care, soil conditioning, and tree and stump removal. Contact Kenner Tree Care by phone at 865-686-8344 or by Facebook. Kenner Tree Care. Tree Care, Nature's Way. This is Alan Benton, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Coming up March 6th through 12th, it's the WDVX Spring Fun Drive. And Mr. Alan Benton himself is going to be sitting in here with me on the 12th. So hope you can tune in for that. We're going to have a special edition of the Tennessee Farm Table from 9 o'clock until 10 o'clock that day. And Alan is bringing with him some hand-picked items from his store to offer up as thank you gifts for people who call in while we're on the air from 9 until 10. Again, that is March the 12th with Mr. Alan Benton live in the studio with me. Hope you can join us. Meet your farmer at the CSA Fair Friday, March 11th from 11 until 2 at the Community Room of the Knox County Health Department. CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, where the customer pays a weekly share of the farmer's harvest. Some of the participating farms and farmers are Abbey Fields, Colvin Family Farm, Jim Farm, South Knox Food Co-op, Spring Creek Farm, Garden Delivery CSA, and many more. This event is free and open to the public. More information by phone 865-215-215. 5183. This event is brought to you by Nourish Knoxville and the Knox County Health Department. This is Chef John Fleer of Rhubarb in Asheville, and you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table on East Tennessee Zone, WDVX.
something up with me And now it's In the Kitchen with Mary Constantine, food writer for the Knoxville New Sentinel. My message today is somber. According to FeedingAmerica.com, there are 15 million children that face hunger in this country on a daily basis. Think about that. 15 million children that face hunger in this country on a daily basis. That number was rattling through my brain after attending a fundraising event for Second Harvest of East Tennessee. There it was mentioned that peanut butter was the food bank's most sought-after food product. Dried beans were a close second. Now I'm happy to have a peanut butter sandwich from time to time, and Lord knows I've eaten my share of pinto beans as a child. But I'm thankful that I have a job that provides me the ability to purchase groceries every week and not have to settle for beans or peanut butter as my primary food staple. So it was with that thought in my mind that I pulled out a copy of the Peanut Butter and Company cookbook looking for inspiration on what foods I could find that elevated that simple ingredient into something amazing. And not surprisingly, I found a recipe for African peanut butter soup. All it requires is limited number of ingredients, but it is hearty enough to satisfy the most hungry of stomachs. To prepare it, all you need is to put three tablespoons of vegetable oil into a stock pot and add one large finely chopped onion and two minced cloves of garlic. You saute until the onions are translucent and then add six cups of vegetable stock or chicken stock and one cup of peanut butter and you can use smooth or crunchy. Stir over medium heat until the peanut butter is incorporated into the stock and then stir in two large sweet potatoes that you've cut into cubes, a 14 and a half ounce can of crushed tomatoes with the liquid, a half of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper, a half of a teaspoon of ground cumin, and salt and pepper to taste. Simmer for 45 minutes or until the potatoes are softened, and then it's ready to eat, and that's enough to last you a couple of days. So please, the next time you have an opportunity to help your local food bank, remember that peanut butter is an ingredient that you can donate, and it won't break your bank but it may very well be the highlight of someone else's day. This is Mary Constantine with the Tennessee Farm Table. We want to say thank you so much for your great company here today on the Tennessee Farm Table. We hope that you can join us again right back here at 9 o'clock at WDVX.com or online at TennesseeFarmTable.com. Next week, live in the studio, we're going to have a special edition of the Tennessee Farm Table from 9 o'clock until 10. Live in the studio, we're going to have Mr. Alan Benton sitting in here with me as a pitch partner, along with Peggy Hambright, owner of Magpie's Bakery. And we're going to be asking for your support of East Tennessee's own WDVX. Alan is bringing some special treats from his business, and uh, we'll be offering those up as thank you gifts for supporters of WDBX during the hour of 9 to 10 next Saturday, the 12th.
Our theme song was written by myself, Amy Campbell, and beautifully performed by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. More information about Emmy Sunshine at theemmysunshine.com. That's spelled T-H-E-E-M-I sunshine.com. We want to say thank you to WDVX for bringing to you pure community broadcasting, just like this show. They are our media partner, and we couldn't do this without them. More information at WDVX.com. We'd love to invite you to connect with us on Twitter and Facebook at TennesseeFarmTable.com and check out our podcast. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.